Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Rebecca Dennistein and Maggie Shipstead. I always wanted to come down those stairs. Um, I'm so happy to be here to chat with Becky. Um, this is a great book. If you haven't read it yet, it is for sale. She'll be happy to sign. Um, I think our plan of attack is she's going to read us a section, and then I'm going to interview her a little bit, and then you guys will have a chance to ask questions. So start thinking of them now. Um, and yeah. Okay, wow. Maggie is so good at this. Thank you for being here. Um, uh, it is so fun to be here with you tonight and see so many friendly faces. I, oh, my, oh my gosh, whoa! Um, <laughs> wow. Um, I have been in a different city every day for the past couple of weeks, and many of those cities were kind of um, lonely places, but this is a really warm place, so thank you for being here. Um, I'm going to read from this book. Uh, In this book, we encounter two northward journeys. Um, They intersect in the Norwegian Arctic and become a love story. So I wanted to read just a moment from both sides. Um, We're going to start with Francis. The two main characters are Francis and Yasha. Francis is a painting student. Um, Is this awful? Is something awful happening? Okay. Um, Francis is a painting student. She is traveling north to apprentice with a Norwegian master painter. Um, uh, The master painter is named Nils. He is a descendant of the Sami reindeer hunters of Lapland, and he is uh, determined to paint the local Viking museum's extra barn completely yellow uh, in order to attract the attention of the Norwegian government. So Francis is helping Nils paint a barn. Story A. Story B, uh, Yasha, a 17-year-old Russian immigrant, is traveling north to fulfill his father's final wish to be buried at the top of the world. Um, But the closest he can come to the top of the world is uh, northern Norway, where this Viking museum will assist him in hosting the funeral. Francis and Yasha meet at the Viking museum, and that's where we're going to start. Um, so this is a section uh, where Francis and Nils are painting the barn yellow, and it's the season of the midnight sun, so the sun is never setting, um, and they're painting their hearts out. The world was perpetually visible, so I looked at it. Conditioned by hours in the yellow room, I saw the landscape in color block. The midnight sun came in shades of pink. The fjords rushed up onto white sand beaches, and the sand made the water Bermuda green. The houses were always red. They appeared in clusters, villages, wherever there lay flat land. Mountains rose steeply behind each village, menaces and guardians. Each red house was a lighthouse, marking the boundary between one terrain and another, preventing crashes somehow, providing solace. Nils told me there are no dangerous animals here, bought a flot, which meant either only nice ones or only ticks. 
The sky often split into two opposing weathers, blue over the mountains, where the many peaks had ripped the clouds open, and white over the water, where the clouds collected again, blanketing the fjord. At night, at the colony windows, silent machines passed through crops, and in the morning, great white plastic-wrapped bundles appeared, preserving I didn't know what until I didn't know when. Even at midsummer, snow remained on the highest peaks. The mountains were writing something with those high ridges. There was surely a calligraphy there. When the mountains ended, a line of cursive ran, ar- ran across the otherwise blank sky, 4,000 meters up, where it could be read by everyone. People who'd lived in Lofoten all their lives had surely translated those scripts, I imagined, at crucial moments when they needed to be told. One triumphant evening, Nils and I bought tickets to a screening of Harry Potter at the Lechness movie house. Nils didn't know anything about Harry Potter. When I tried to give him a basic introduction, he didn't understand the word wizard, but after he looked it up in the dictionary and found that it meant troll man, he was excited. Dead fish hung by their tails from wooden racks, mouths open, all along the side of the road. Nils said they were the dried cod for the stockfish export, Lofoten's once great industry. The fishermen were late in collecting them this year. As the weeks passed, the fish dwindled in number until only the bare racks remained. Nils was pleased that there would be no dangling heads when the inspectors came. With all those sharp teeth taken out of the sky, he said, the barn would have less visual competition. The lights stayed off in the colony, and when the sun rose or fell to tree level, perching briefly in the branches, it looked like a bird's nest in flames. I set up an easel near the window where the ox most often appeared. Painting the animal at night from a distance was a relief after days spent with my nose against splintering walls. Nils finished the barn's exterior walls. Our sun on the hill stood irrefutable, and we began to apply details to the surfaces, thin shapes drawn in white pink, barely visible, but making the monochrome shimmer into motion. So that's them painting the barn. Um, And... Uh, The one other little moment I wanted to read, just so we get a sense of both perspectives, um, is uh, Yasha and the whole staff of the Viking Museum are preparing to bury Yasha's father. And it's a bit... um, chaotic because we've got like a blacksmith and a viking chief but they're I mean it's a fake blacksmith and a fake viking chief but they're in their costumes and they're trying to host this funeral and the museum has never done that before um Yasha's Uncle Daniil is also here, so that's all the characters. Okay. Uncle Daniil, Chief Haldor, Sigbjorn the blacksmith, and Yasha gathered around the casket. The sun was still high, but falling slightly behind Daniil, casting Daniil's hat-wearing shadow onto the wood. The shadow fell upside down over the casket, Daniil's head at Yasha's father's feet. Yasha studied his uncle's face. His uncle looked down at the casket, unaware of being watched. 
Yasha examined him. There was his father's nose, bulbous, his father's hairline, surprisingly unreceded, his father's ears, small. Daniil did not have his father's eyes. Yasha's eyes had never resembled his father's either. His father's eyes had been watercolored. Yasha wanted to open the casket fast, once. Daniil, he said, yes, can we open it? Open it? Open it. No, I don't think we can open it. No? You see, Daniil said, it's not hard to pick the nails. I only hammered them. But Yasha, he said, Yasha, you want to? He's resting. He looks sick inside. Everyone looked at the casket. I haven't seen him in six days, Yasha said. I haven't seen him in ten years, said Oleana. My father died in 1999, Haldor said. Daniil rubbed his face, took off his cap. He's resting. Yasha looked at the casket again, still sunlit. He thought about the sunlight passing through the wood, through his father's eyelids, and into the green of each eye. They would become brilliant some days, when the ocean light came in through the bakery windows and slapped his father straight in the face. Those were the moments when his father's face was so bright, Yasha could see every nose hair in perfect clarity, and the lake-like green of his eyes. The bakery, which was otherwise a dimly lit place, darkened their color into something more leaf-like on cloudier days. Everyone was waiting for Yasha to respond. Yasha turned to his mother, who was checking that her earring was still in place. Ten feet behind her, sitting on the back bumper of the truck, Francis was staring at Yasha almost tearfully, making Yasha feel suddenly proud. This was his father, his father's funeral they were all attending. Don't open it, Yasha said. He's resting. Then we heave it up, said Sigbjorn the blacksmith. Yes, said Daniil. All four men bent their knees and extended their arms. The casket sat between them, shivering on the dolly. The truck drove slowly, ceremoniously. Viking Vian, the portion of the highway that ran past the museum, soon forked west into Egham Vian, which passed the 50-odd houses that made up Egham Village and terminated in a sheep field. A narrow dirt road continued past the sheep, between six red fishing cabins and out toward the northernmost tip of the peninsula, where a government-sponsored sculpture installation, a human head that, tur- that seemed to turn upside down as one walked around it, stood mounted on a thin pedestal. Egham Beach sprawled on, boulder by boulder, seemingly without end, to both the east and the west. North of Egham lay the Norwegian Sea. At the far side of the Norwegian Sea lay the North Pole. And then the world started again on the other side. I'd like to take the microphone apart. Just to make sure. Um, That was so wonderful. I'm so glad you read those parts. 
We first connected on Twitter, actually, about a year ago. I went on this weird trip for artists in the very high Norwegian Arctic and Svalbard and kind of made my way up the coast, and so I had the chance to visit the Lofoten, Lofoten, yeah. Lofoten Islands um, just for a couple of days. And so I can say with great confidence that Becky just captures it so perfectly. It's such an um, otherworldly place. Uh, so this is kind of a big question to start with. And we can break it down as we go. But um, I just would love to know more about, yeah, careful, <laughs> um, to know more about how this book came to be and what the seeds of it were. Yes. Um, how this book came to be. Uh, I was also on a crazy artist's journey. Um, when I graduated college, uh, the English department allowed me to go somewhere and write a book of poems, which was an opportunity I didn't expect to have ever again, and I thought, I really need to go somewhere special for this. Um, and I'd spent a couple of summers in Ireland studying Irish literature, and I liked being north in the world, and the sheep, and the fog, and the cloudiness, and then the very bright light, and that whole dynamic appealed to me. So I thought, maybe if I just go as far north as I can, I'll find something really rich there. Uh, and then I was in the Arctic, and uh, I stayed there because it was ravishing. Um, and so was there an artist colony set up, or did you just choose this point on the map? <laughs> um, it was the kind of thing where... Yep. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> it was the kind of thing where uh, I had a professor who'd been on vacation with his wife in Norway, who'd met some old people, who had a son, who had an uncle, who <laughs> lived in the Arctic. And um, the uncle was head of the bicycle rental company and the golf course and the photography club. And he said, our photography club meets in this old building, and you can have a room there if you want. So I, I took that room. Okay. And was there a Viking museum nearby? There is. There is a real Viking museum. Um, this is a fictional version of that Viking museum, and there was never any funeral, and there was never any Yasha and all of that. But uh, there is a Viking museum in Borg, and you should all go if you find yourself up there. It's fantastic. And it's so true about those dried fish. Like, I was actually emotionally unprepared for them. And I was on the, the Hurtigruten, which is the ferry that goes up the coast. And there were just a bunch of huge mouth open, like, dried fish at the stern. And I sort of thought they were, like, a warning to other fish. <laughs> but then I got to this island, there's just huge numbers of them. It's crazy. So... So, did you have any Norwegian language when you went the first time? No, 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 none at all. Um, but it turns out that Norwegian is grammatically really similar to English. Um, like, there's a moment in the book where Nils is saying, like, de can vi, that can we. And if you look at those words written, like, can is can, just can with a K. Like, it's it's kind of like English with funny letters. So, I mean, it really, I think a thousand years ago, the languages were the same or something. So, um it just after I mean I was there for about three years altogether and by that point oh wow yeah yeah by I that point that. it kind of came in I see so you were working primarily on poetry and writing were you writing in English and translating because your poetry collection is bilingual yes yeah I wrote the poems in English and then a Norwegian editor took a big chance on them and we translated them over the course of about a year and a half into Norwegian uh-huh so when when did the seed of the novel come to you? When did you think you'd take it into a fictional world? Um, I wrote 200 pages of 
completely plotless mumbo jumbo uh, while I was writing the poems, in which I basically praised everything out the windows at length. I mean, it's just like the flowers are beautiful, the cows are beautiful, the sheep are beautiful, and that was my novel. Um, and I came—I mean, truly though—and uh, I and I came back to an MFA program with that, and everybody said, "What?" Um, so then I throughout all 200 of those pages and um, started again, you know, with flowers and sheep, but also a story. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like workshop. Yep. Um, so you had, so you, you began with, the book is, parts of it are in first person from Francis's point of view, and parts are the... <laughs> it's very temperamental, that one. <laughs> um, I don't know, do we need them? Can you hear us? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. Perfect. <laughs> we'll try to protect. Um, what was I going to ask you? So parts of it are in first person, Francis's point of view, and parts of it, Yasha's story, are in third person. So how did you, did you initially start with the Francis sections, and then... Yeah, so I initially started with the Yasha sections ten years ago. Oh, wow. Um, I wrote a short story about Yasha and his father in the bakery in my freshman year of college, and I always wanted to expand that. Um, and actually, that whole first draft with the sheep and the flowers were all from Yasha's point of view, and it didn't really make sense that this 17-year-old Russian boy was into the flowers either. So when I got to workshop, they were like, why don't you have somebody who might be interested in sheep and flowers, and then Yasha, and see what they have to talk to each other about. And that's where the Francis mm -hmm. character came in. Mm -hmm. But it was really Yasha's story to begin with. Um, so, so can I ask you, do you feel like is when you're writing poetry and when you're writing fiction, are they entirely different gears, or do you feel like one informs the other? Um, they're entirely different gears, although in the case of this novel and the book of poems, they share a mood and a setting and a sensibility, but um, the poems are so moment-based and the novel is so um, wide in its scope that... Mm -hmm they feel like really different energies to me. Mm -hmm. um, and the novel was just much harder. Novels are so hard. So, yeah. yeah, it's true. They are, they're awful. And <laughs> I mean, I, I also identify with, with what you're saying about looking out the window and sort of like beauty like that kind of demands to be described, but there's a way in which describing it sort of deadens it, but you want to share it and that's sort of your only means. And, um, so did you think a lot about how to sort of incorporate the landscape into the novel? Yeah, I mean, the landscape was kind of the only thing I wanted, I knew I needed in the novel, and then the rest of it was kind of a, how to weave action into the landscape and how to make the landscape part of a plot and how to make the characters have a reason to be in that landscape. Mm -hmm. The landscape was really where I started with, but unfortunately that doesn't keep the pages turning. <laughs> <laughs> well, another thing that I think is really difficult to write about is writing two people, two characters falling in love mm -hmm. and giving them reason to and making it convincing. In a way, it's much easier to sort of enter a story when people are already in love or falling out of it or whatever. Yeah. So you have a lot of sort of romantic pairs in this novel and some are coming together others are dissolving others are sort of as they are throughout um, so how did you think about um, bringing Yasha and Francis together well it's it's um, weird because Francis is 21 and ya 21 going on 22 and Yasha is 17 going on 18 so like <laughs> um, and that 
the sense of like kind of offness actually gave a lot of energy to the book because mm-hmm. it made it difficult for the characters to feel comfortable with each other, which mm-hmm. um, is a dynamic that helped. The discomfort helped things move along. Mm-hmm. Um, but something about their shared perception of the beauty kind of makes everything else irrelevant, mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah, and I, th- I think um, that dynamic was interesting with the younger, less experienced man and the, <laughs> the older woman. Um, and I, I thought, too, is you, could, you created this mood on the island where people were quite gentle with each other, and mm. it sort of smoothed Yasha's relationship with his mother, um, which is a plot I don't want to spoil. Um, and, <laughs> and there are all these sort of... It's kind of this in some ways eccentric cast of characters, these people who work at the Viking Museum, and they're doing these sort of Viking tasks and dress like Vikings. <laughs> and it kind of informs the way they relate to each other, I totally. think. They kind of go back to this almost like semi-primitive way of being. Um, so when you were there, was there that kind of community of people? Did you make friends? What was your experience like? Um. Yeah, I spent a day at the Viking Museum shooting the arrows and making the nails, um, and I did make friends with the blacksmith for like five minutes, but um, mostly I was super alone, and and the poems kind of cover the solitude, and so it was actually a big joy to be able to work with a piece of writing where there are lots of characters dealing with each other, because that was not my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made friends here and there, and especially when I went down to Oslo to translate the poems, I had a... That was a city life, mm-hmm. but up in Lofoten, it was really me in a building, and mm-hmm. um, having all these characters talking to each other was, in a way, kind of a substitute for anybody talking to me, so that that was nice. Yeah. Well, could you... So, when I wrote my first book, I lived through a winter alone on Nantucket, and went there being like, I'll make friends, and I made no friends, <laughs> and at some point, I went five weeks without having a face-to-face conversation with another person. It's a crazy experience. So, can you just sort of, like, how was... Were you expecting that solitude? Were you prepared for it? Yeah. Um, the winter in the Arctic was lonelier. I expected it to be lonely, and it was lonelier than I expected because um, the one painter who had been uh, in the building with me during the summer got seasonal depression disorder and left. Um, So I was literally alone in a three-story building on an island in the Arctic. Um, In darkness. In darkness, and the sun never rose. So I listened to a lot of Taylor Swift. I can't. It's just the truth of the matter. Um, and I wrote a lot, and like I made myself three very elaborate meals a day, and uh, there was not much else I could do, but it was still so beautiful because for the two hours a day where the sun is close enough to the horizon that the sky gets like kind of purple, because there's so much snow, the whole world looks purple, and that was really exciting for two hours a day. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, well, I, and for me, it's been after that sort of experience, now I can kind of snap into solitude mode yeah, yeah. in a way I'm not sure. Has it been lasting for you? Have you had oh, yeah. periods of solitude since? Um, tour, this tour has been like oh. nicely solitary in a way yeah. because I'm traveling alone and I don't know <laughs> anybody in most of the cities that I'm going to. And I had a beautiful day in Seattle yesterday, just like, alone in the city and I really enjoyed that and it felt like oh I'm in my element again of just kind of being in a place um, 
Uh, I forgot what the question was. Solitude. Yeah, I think my brother remembers me as like a as like a tap dancer. I mean, I was like a I was like a loud tap dancer when we, when I was little. Um, and I think Norway made me so much quieter. Um, so so I think I'm still I think I'm still quieter. Also, my brother is the best. <laughs> Um, so, so let's see, you, I'm still like stuck on the timeline, so you go there after college, and you stayed for three years, or? I was in the Arctic for one year, and then down in southern Norway, translating poems, and kind of just like chilling. And then after that, you came back to New York to do your MFA in fiction. Yes. And then, so how, how far through this, this novel did you get during your MFA? All the way. So you had a complete draft by the end. Yeah. But then I rewrote most of it with agents and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so how is it now that it's out in the world? It's super crazy. I mean, mean, every, like, inch of this was a decision that somebody made. Like, this brilliant designer named John Gray made this, and it looks great, and I'm so grateful to him. And, like, somebody decided that this would be white and black and that there would be a star (laughs) here. And, like, great, thank you, that person. (laughs) It's just, it's so nice to have a a team and to have, like, buddies who are making this thing with you. It's been a really just, like, joyful, friendly experience. That's great. Um, and what can I ask what you're working on now? Uh, yeah, I have an idea for a second novel, but I haven't written a word of it. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so I want to make sure you guys have time to ask all your questions before I just monopolize our evening here. What was, in translating your poems, what was the nicest surprise and what was the most disappointing or upsetting? Um, the nicest surprise was how efficient Norwegian can be. Mm-hmm. Um, Norwegian can say things uh, in fewer words than English can sometimes, and that was really fun. Uh, the worst part was when all the Norwegian reviewers were like, we like these poems better in English. <laughs> and it was like, well, <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I spent a couple of weeks in Alaska about a decade ago and in July and never saw darkness, never even saw dusk. Yeah. And it was really exhilarating. Um, but when I was there, I made a friend there and he was born and raised there. And I said, what's it like in the winter? And he said, well, you really have to have a plan hmm. in terms of when the season's coming, something that you're, you're, you're planning to sort of accomplish or, or you'll go crazy. Interesting. So my question is, did you ever have times, obviously you had a plan, you were writing, right. but in spite of that, in spite of the incredible accompaniment of Taylor Swift, who, you know, brighten anyone's day, um, did, did you have tough moments where you really, the absence of the light made you feel like, you know, you were losing it or, you know, we, we really needed that, um, Sunshine. Yeah, sometimes when I look back, I have a bunch of photos of my, co- I had a little toy wooden goat, and I, I have these strange photographs of the goat on my windowsill, kind of wrapped up in things. I, I mean, I don't know what I was doing. I, like, there, were, like, there were definitely moments, I mean, it was, I was so alone, and it was so dark, and there were so, the nothingness was so total. I definitely slipped into moments of just kind of wildness of some kind but I was I was just like I was writing a thousand words a day and 
I would kind of go to sleep at a certain time and wake up at a certain time and it wasn't ultimately that crazy and also Christmas is a huge deal in Norway and that punctuates the season so like gearing up to Christmas there's a lot of festivities and people put little elves everywhere and like there's a lot of um, merriment so that helped too. Isn't there a Norwegian word for like coziness? Yeah, like cool, it's cool, like, that's yeah. the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is the best thing. Nor- um, it's the nicest thing. There's this whole thing about kus. It's like, and you can add kus to any word. So like Friday kus, or like um, t-shirt kus. Like anything you think that it is cozy, you can just make it a, a kind of coziness. And they take it really seriously. And like, I think it's so nice that the culture takes coziness really seriously. <laughs> yeah, and it's like something they look forward to. Yeah, so yeah. like we think of this dark winter as being sort of a horrible thing to ponder, but they're like, oh, it's cozy time. It's super like, cozy time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Get all my comfy clothes. <laughs> After having all of that quietness and solitude writing, yeah. is it hard to be productive in a place like New York? Huh? Good question. Um, Brooklyn is like pretty quiet sometimes, so I, I haven't had too much trouble. Um, I like having a window and some quiet, but I've been able to have that in Brooklyn, so no, it's been okay. Speaking of Brooklyn, will you talk a little bit more about where Yasha's story came from? Um, Yasha's story is so totally fiction, but my grandmother lived in Sheepshead Bay, so the bakery setting came from that, and my piano teacher was super Russian, (laughs) and that's kind of, that's all I had going into that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure I've touched on it, but it's interesting that your poetry came from solitude and a love story came out of New York um, as a New Yorker. Um, does New York go into it at all? Or is there any. Yeah, yeah, both. So Yasha, Francis and Yasha both start in New York and get back there too. So it's, a, it's one of those. Yeah. Okay. Hey, awesome, guys. Can I? Say hi to you, and I don't know. Will you come say hi? <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, oh! There's. Um, we're all gonna go down the street to Rockwell afterwards. So I really love it if you would come. Okay. Thank you guys so much for coming. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.